Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. Over the weekend, a letter was sent to the Prime Minister, signed by over 1,200 church leaders from all sorts of different denominations here in the UK, complaining about the concept of vaccine passports and raising some serious ethical concerns. And we have two of their original signatories here to discuss it with us. Dr. William Philip of the Tron Church in Glasgow. We are simply saying it's impossible theologically um, for the Christian church to close its doors. And Dr. Jamie Franklin, who is curate of St. George in the Meadow in Nottingham. I'm a curate. I'm the bottom of the food chain. I've only been ordained for uh, less than less than two years. But there's such a such a dearth of leadership that I felt like it was necessary for me to do something. Hello to you both. Good morning. So, uh, William, if we could start with you, what is your main impetus for organising this letter? What is the thing you're most worried about to do with vaccine passports? We've made three basic points in the letter. The first is simply that it's it's illogical medically because of all the things that uh, we know. But we're more concerned with the fact that it's, it's immoral and it's divisive um, in terms of uh, society because there's a very real risk here that we create uh, an underclass of people, a kind of medical apartheid uh, of those who, for whatever reason, have not been vaccinated. And there are many reasons uh, why people can't be or won't be vaccinated and uh, maybe a small minority. Uh, but there's a real danger there. And there's also the thin end of the wedge because why stop with... Uh, COVID vaccination. There are lots of other infectious diseases. There are many that are more infectious than COVID. Uh, there are lots of other medical conditions as well. And then, of course, finally, in particular, we are simply saying it's impossible theologically um, for the Christian church to close its doors to those who have been branded by, uh, by society uh, in, the, in our particular time as being socially undesirable is absolutely anathema to the Christian gospel. That would be like the Lord Jesus Christ standing up and saying, well, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
except those of you who are sick, except the blind, except the lepers, except those who are tax collectors and sinners, uh, and so on. You've got to produce your passport. So it's absolutely impossible theologically, and that's really, I suppose, where it where it hits uh, home for us. But we're, we're concerned with the wider issues, obviously. Jamie, so a, a lot of the signatories of the letter were from either independent churches or Presbyterian uh, ministries. What's your um, take on that? Why, why was it so... Um, relatively less popular among a formal Church of England groups? Well, I, I think there were there were quite a lot of um, Anglican priests who signed the letter. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that we were disproportionately underrepresented, but what I would say is that we haven't we haven't been supported by the hierarchy of the Church of England, or indeed any hierarchy. I, I regard this really uh, as in origin and in its execution, a, a bottom-up uh, grassroots movement. Uh, many of us have been extremely frustrated, both within the church and also in, in society as well, with, the, with what we see really as, as a considerable lack of Christian leadership over the last uh, 12 months. We really feel that uh, what, what um, senior church leaders in, in across all denominations have essentially done is they've, they've given an imprimatur to uh, the diktats of the government and of the um, the uh, secular unelected technocrats who appear to be running things at the moment and people are extremely frustrated with this and uh, we quite frankly Freddie it shouldn't fall to somebody like me to 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 be involved in doing something like this. I'm a curate. I'm the bottom of the food chain. I've only been ordained for uh, less than less than two years. Uh, but there's such a such a dearth of leadership that um, well, I felt like it was necessary for me to do something. Uh, the, this is the message of the church is not simply to obey the government, but it's that um, you know, Jesus Christ has has conquered conquered death, and He is the answer to death. In the words of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, death reveals the world is not as it should be, but it stands in need of redemption. That should be the, the message of the church. And uh, this is the message that the church has singularly failed to produce over the last 12 months. So we really felt that we needed to do something. So your kind of institutional leader ultimately is the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's been very um, strong on safety messaging. And he ag agreed to the churches closing their doors in the first lockdown. We already against that at the time and was there a was there any kind of movement against that because we understand we interviewed Tom Holland on this show and he said it was the first time the churches in England had closed their doors since the interdiction of 1208 so that seemed like quite a major step what was happening back then yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think the historical view is, is really helpful on this. It's been 800 years since the churches have closed their doors to people. And uh, the view was overwhelmingly uh, that the church the church should have closed down. And then, of course, the archbishop uh, famously went beyond beyond the uh, beyond the law and banned priests from even uh, entering the churches to pray and to celebrate the uh, the Eucharist. So um, I felt at the time that it was a mistake. I've been against the lockdown since the beginning. And I think that as a, as a church, we, we made entirely the wrong decision. We should have resisted the churches being closed down and we should have insisted on their remaining open to be a place of refuge and hope, a place where people could go to receive uh, the sacraments, to hear the preaching of the gospel uh, and, to, and to be comforted in, in, a time of, in a time of peace. I can't tell you the amount of people I've had contact with who have said to me that they've sought refuge in the church over the last 12 months only to find a literal or metaphorical closed door. And I think, it's, I think it was a terrible mistake Mistake, a mistake which which may have have catastrophic consequences for the Church of England uh, going forward. 
Uh, William, I mean, the, the argument against both for the original cl- church closures and now for vaccine passports, I suppose, is safety and protection of your congregation um, should be a paramount concern to a minister. Is there not a Christian argument saying that, yes, it's a, a shame and it's inconvenient, but the most important thing is to protect their health? Well, a Christian argument could only could never say that um, physical health and protection is the paramount and ultimate thing. A Christian argument must say that eternal health is infinitely more important. And uh, Christian, uh, the Christian church has recognized that all through its history, which is why in times of plague in the past, going right back to the early centuries, uh, it's been the Christian church that's right, been right in the midst of the heart of it, uh, saving people, helping people. Yes, of course, we want to preserve people's physical health. Nobody's arguing for recklessness among the churches. Uh, nobody's arguing for putting people in danger uh, uh, where that can be avoided. But um, we are arguing for a sense of proportionality. And um, if that if that proportionality of the, the relative importance of eternity versus the temporal doesn't come from the Christian church, then where is it going to come from? And I think that's the, that's the problem, that the message of the church has been collapsed into one of merely health and safety in a temporal way. It is entirely uh, omitted to speak about hope and salvation. And um, that, that is a catastrophic failure of the institutional church. And that's why from early days in the pandemic, we in the church were, were shamed and embarrassed reading secular commentators, atheist commentators, asking the questions in the press, where is spiritual leadership in a time of crisis? And of course, in the past, um, the government and the population would look to the church for that leadership um, and it would receive it. Um, It hasn't received it this time. And uh, many in the church have been ashamed of that. And uh, many in the population have been deprived of that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the real issue. So we're not, of course, uh, talking about recklessness, but we are talking about um, the place for uh, hope and the place for the, the, the primary message of the church, which is one of salvation. And that must come first. It must come uh, above everything else. We all agree that the NHS um, is being vi- has been vitally important. Nobody has said close hospitals because we recognize physical health is important. But if the church itself doesn't recognize that it is even more important than hospitals for the body, then we really do have a problem. And uh, that's why many, many, many church leaders from real churches, from grassroots churches, ha- have been wanting to make this point and, and be heard when our, our national leaders have, have, have failed to do that. Do you think it's partly a sort of organisational thing to do with the fact that the Church of England as the national church is sort of semi-governmental in some sense, so it can't be seen to break with official government advice? And that's why more voices like yours that are separate from that are able to speak freely. Do you think that's what's going on? The Church of England bishops had absolutely no problem whatsoever with denouncing Brexit um, in a in a very enthusiastic manner. So, and I, that, that is a justification for this. I think that it's it's an inconsistent justification. The fact is that being we're not a state church. You know, we're not we're not like the the Reich's Church of the of the 1930s. We are an established church. And the metaphor that I would like to use is that we're not a um, we're not a thermometer just simply telling the temperature of the culture, but we're a thermostat. We're supposed to have we're supposed to have an influence on the culture, not simply to follow the culture and to follow the government. And when the government are doing something which we regard as wrong or immoral or deceitful, it is our duty to call the government out for those things. And I think less is an abdication of our responsibility. Were you surprised by how many? signatories that letter got. Do you feel like there is more of a groundswell of dissent in the Church of England than you would see from the leadership? Perhaps. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for me to say. 
But my my feeling is that I think that this issue with vaccine passports may be may be crossing a line for people, um, which which they're which they're uncomfortable with, and perhaps they would have perhaps they would have been able to go up to a certain point previously. You know, we've put up with an awful lot in churches. Obviously, the closures, but masks. You know, no singing, uh, social distancing, all all sorts of all sorts of things which have tied uh, vicars and priests up in all sorts of bureaucratic and administrative tangles. Uh, but I think when you say to people who are genuine Christian ministers that there is a possibility that the government may try and force us to exclude people from churches on the basis of whether or not they've had a certain medical treatment. I think that is crossing a line for lots and lots of sincere people. And I think that this this uh, this be one step too far and that they're they're now willing to say, you know, this far and no further. This is unreasonable. I think I think many people can also see the illogicality of this, that this doesn't this doesn't even make sense, even according to the government's own logic. If the if the vaccine ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. To protect people, then the status of people who are unvaccinated is is basically irrelevant. So there is no need to do this, and we cannot do this anyway because it completely contradicts everything we believe about the gospel, everything we believe about Jesus, and the scriptures, and our and our role as priests. So I think I think lots of people see that, and that they they are happy to now say this far and no further. Yeah, William, do do you think it's going to work? It seems like these this issue of vaccine passports has triggered somewhat of a backlash from a surprising coalition of voices. We've had people on the left of the Labour Party right through to libertarian Tories and now church leaders such as yourself. Do you think the pushback is going to work? Well, it's difficult. It's difficult to be sure. It, um, but, it, but yes, I think I think it I hope it will. Um, I think in America, it's already been decided that they won't do this. 
I think on the continent of Europe, there is, um, you know, there is now such resistance in some countries and such distrust of vaccines in any case uh, that the uptake is going to be uh, severely dented. I mean, there's been such chaos caused by politicians on the continent. Um, I mean, if, if if governments had wanted to go to find a way to to, to um, mess up their vaccination programs, they really could hardly find a better one than the, than, the, than the playing of politics that has been done on this. So I think it's going to be very difficult in many countries to to remotely get to uh, to the kind of uptake that will that would allow this to happen. So um, I hope it will. And I hope it I, I agree with Jamie. I think this has has been a big issue, but it's not I don't think this has been the first one. We've had thousands of people writing letters previously to the prime minister and to first ministers about the idea of, of church closures. And um, in Scotland, um, we were we were uh, still uh, by law not allowed to meet to worship uh, until just a few weeks ago. I was part of a group of uh, clergy that uh, brought a judicial review against the Scottish government and and won that because people people saw that this was an enormous infringement uh, of human rights. And I think that's really at, at the heart of this. The response to this pandemic has been so extreme that it has. It's transgressed into the whole area of what it actually means to be human. We've got totally confused about what what is what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, <laughs> what life actually is, and what it's about. And we've become so fixated on the, this idea of saving lives, when saving lives has become prolonging biological life for just a few months in in, in the vast majority of cases among very very elderly people. And the other side of that equation has been the vast swathe of destruction of, of human life from the very youngest all the way through. I mean, human beings are not just living cells. We're not just biologically alive. Human beings, and this is where this is where the Christian worldview, I think, is, is so vital in all of this, because Christianity teaches us that human beings are made in the image of God. We are relational beings. We're made for a relationship with God. We're made for relationships with one another. We're made for responsibility over the uh, the animal kingdom. This this uh, the response of the governments in this situation has totally overturned that. It has not recognised that there's a spiritual dimension to life. It's not recognised the vital relational aspect of life. We've sundered people's relationships with huge effect, and we, we, we've coerced human beings and treated them like animals to be herded around and uh, and, and coerced into certain behaviour. So all of that is is reversing what it what it means to be human, and that is hugely hugely damaging for society. And I think that is why. Um, uh, uh, Christian leaders are standing up and saying, no, we, we must argue for true humanity, not for this kind of um, vitiated uh, view of it, which is, now being, uh, which is now being forced upon us. You mentioned how a lot of the people who have sadly died are old already, and it might be that it's just prolonging their life by a few months. I mean, in another big moral controversy of euthanasia and voluntary death, the Christian worldview takes the opposite stance on that, that every day is precious and life is a gift, and that to say that people are old and it's just a few months is a deeply non-Christian view. So, so what yeah. would you say to that? No, no, no. no I'm, not, I'm, I'm absolutely not, let me be very clear, I'm absolutely not saying that the, uh, the life of old people doesn't matter. I'm absolutely not saying that uh, just because you're old, your life is less important. Absolutely not. But we do have to be realistic about this. And Christian, uh, Christian theology recognizes that death happens to all. 
And death comes to every one of us and death will come to us. And the older you get, the higher your likelihood of death. I mean, this is where this is where we're getting so confused. So during the during the lockdown, when we hit um, 100,000, the, the, the figure of 100,000 deaths related to COVID in whatever way that is related to COVID, uh, I pointed out to our congregation that we have now had 220,000 abortions carried out during this year of lockdown, which is more than double the number, which has taken away the entire life uh, of these of these human beings. And yet, government was making absolutely sure that the one thing that did not suffer during lockdown was people's access to abortion, that home abortion could be carried out. And in fact, um, the, the law has been liberalized and it's been made permanent on that. And in, in other countries like New Zealand, the most liberal abortion laws in the world have been passed during this time of lockdown. So there is an extraordinary confusion here and a corruption uh, of the, the whole understanding of the, of the value of human life. And it is, it is uh, as Christian theologians, that we're saying all life is valuable, but we must recognize reality. And we must recognize that people, when they're very, very old, will die of something. And in order to, 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 to preserve that life in, a, in, a, in, an, uh, in an artificial way, uh, at the expense of vast loss of life, among others, is, is itself deeply immoral. Jamie. Yeah, I think this is um, this is deeply dangerous beyond what we've already seen over the past 12 months. And I'd cite as evidence of this, this extraordinary interview that was given by Edwina Curry. Uh, I think it was last week on, I think it was, a, it was a morning program. But she was essentially saying that people who are not vaccinated, were, she said, and I quote, they should exercise their freedom by staying at home. And then she said that she didn't want them anywhere near her. She didn't want them in her train carriage. She didn't want them standing next to her at the theatre bar. They did, she didn't want them standing next to her at the theatre, and so on and so forth. And this this kind of language should be very, very frightening to anybody who knows anything about, for example, 1930s Germany or any other country where there has been discrimination which has, has declined into, into violence and even genocide. This is very, very dangerous language. And the, and the way that the government are trying to use the threat of vaccine passports to coerce people is creating a de facto underclass, an other class, which uh, is, is, is apt to be uh, hated, uh, discriminated against, and potentially even to be uh, persecuted through violence. And we need to be we need to be very very careful about this kind of about this kind of language uh, because it's deeply deeply dangerous. Uh, William, let's let's come back to you. I mean, it's important to be clear: is is this a group of people who have ethical concerns? about vaccine passports or is it actually a group of church leaders who also don't really buy into the vaccine program full stop? No, I think it's the former, uh, very clearly. It's almost impossible to speak about vaccines at all without being labelled anti-vaxxer. I was a medical doctor before I was ordained. I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all. I'm very pro-vaccines. Um, but on this particular issue, there are complications and there are difficulties. If I can just say a word about the ethical issue, which you asked about. There are Christians, um, I don't know the number, but there are significant numbers of Christians who have, um, have significant conscience issues with, uh, with vaccines and perhaps with other medications because of the involvement of uh, fetal stem cells. Uh, now, different vaccines use these in different ways, so it's really quite a complicated picture. Some of them uh, actually use uh, new fetal stem cells, and that is much more problematic in my view. Some of them, the majority of them, use very old cell lines resulting from um, abortive fetal tissue from, from many decades ago. 
Um, but there are Christians, and there are significant Christian leaders who have written about this and argued and uh, and said that they will not take the vaccine because of that, and, and they think that other Christians shouldn't. That's not my view. I, I don't share that view. I think that if you go down that hole, um, you know, you, 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 it becomes very difficult to, to justify taking all kinds of medication because of things that have been done many decades ago. And I think the appropriating of um, things now, which uh, were which which involve more dubious practices in the past, is not necessarily ethically uh, problematic. But there are some people who who feel that very very strongly. And the and the crucial issue, as far as Christian churches are concerned, is. Um, Am I to say to somebody like that, who is in in obedience to their conscience, and as they see it, in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ not to take life, refusing a vaccine, am I to say to them, well, then you cannot come into the church of Jesus Christ. Your obedience to Jesus prevents you from coming into worship. Uh, Jamie, let me come to you for a, for a final thought, if I may. Do you think that the, the, the science that we've been talking about so much in the past year has almost got a religious flavor these days and that you're up against a kind of parallel church oh yeah absolutely i consider it to be i consider it to be an alternative uh, competing religion in its most extreme form i mean we've had we've had very very religious language used by our leaders i think one of the one of the key ones for me was when matt hancock spoke about um injecting hope into the arms of, of millions and we've had depictions of the vaccine as a as a kind of uh, a shrouded figure at the at the end of a of a, of a long dark tunnel um you know against the light as though the vaccine is as though the vaccine is christ and there have been very various other um various other parallels as well and so as ministers of of, of the gospel our, our message is not uh, stay at home stay safe uh, it is that the only salvation is christ he's the only one who can save us from from death so if people want to take a vaccine uh because it because it will protect them and they they believe that and they've, they've looked into it and they feel it's right for them that that's, that's great. That's their decision, and and um, they can do that. But as ministers of the gospel, our message is that ultimately Jesus is our saviour, and not primarily a vaccine or indeed any medical treatment. Jamie Franklin and William Phillip, the Reverend Doctors, both just to give you your proper titles. Thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Thanks so much, Billy. Thank you. That was the Reverend Dr. William Phillip, Minister of the Tron Church in Glasgow, and the Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, uh, Curate of St. George in the Meadows in Nottingham, representatives there of 1,200 church leaders who signed a letter directed to Boris Johnson in the past couple of days, putting their foot down on the topic of vaccine passports. And we got into quite a widespread discussion there of the ethics and the role of religious leaders in controversies like this. I thought that was really interesting. Thanks to them. I hope you found it interesting also. This was Lockdown TV. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.